Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds. One of the things that's always really intrigued me is how long it's taken for us to have realized our visions around virtual reality. I mean, we've been talking about this for almost half a century, but it seems like only now are we starting to see devices and technologies and platforms that are getting close to what we dreamed about so many years ago. Why do you think that is? What's changed in the last 18 months? Yeah, and I would say instead of just talking about VR, I would talk about XR overall. And so for us, the way that we define XR is AR and VR. It, certainly, it's, a, it's a, not only a concept, but these are activities, projects, and, and experiences that we've already had around and we've been playing with for a while. Mm. If you look at, even recently, if you look at AR, Snapchat certainly is one of the best examples of how to use AR without making people worry about what it is or what it's not, AR lenses. I think the issue is that some of the technology and some of the infrastructure necessary also for that was not quite there yet. If you hear us speak, we often say that for us, we consider XR a strategic ecosystem play, and we fully mean that. Basically, what we're saying is that there are a, a bunch of different parts let's say in the technology stack that's necessary to provide uh, AR and VR experiences or, in a, you know, or this, this, this uh, virtual world or mirror world that all have to come kind of like reach a certain um, where the tipping points have to be unlocked so that they can also stay in each other properly. So we're talking about infrastructure. So do you have, for example, 5G? Do you have a way to do do split rendering? Do you have a way to push the information to the devices in a way that you can make the devices lighter and they don't have to have that much power? You have a way to have batteries that are small enough that, again, you can have devices on you that are the form factor that allows you to be mobile, allows you to be in the real world without being constrained and being by yourself, and at the same time have enough functionality and enough power there. Is there a way to distribute content uh, that is kind of like standardized so that people know where to go get it and, and how to access? Uh, is there even an app store of sorts where you can where you can get the different types of, of, of experiences or functionality that you might need? Is there a, a common way of interfacing with information? So a UI of sorts that now is different that everyone understands and it's easy enough for everyone to, to, to get. And is there content? Let's not forget that. Is there content or are there experiences that are really interesting enough for people to do it more than once or twice, but really kind of like start using it every day? So until all those things come together and each one of those players, uh, key players uh, in the ecosystem, are able to get to a certain level, it's, it's difficult to really make uh, AR or VR become the standardized way of in now dealing with the digital world. And I think that's why we've heard about it for a long time, but we've been waiting for this tipping point from right. a technology perspective and a content perspective <clears throat> to, to unlock themselves. And some of those now have unlocked. And there are a few more that still are are the, in the making. And so as those um, unlock, we will see the market just taking off. I am having a chat today with uh, Raffaele Camara, who's the Global Head of Innovation Strategy for Accenture XR. Uh, Raffaele, it's wonderful to uh, 
meet you virtually and have you on the show. <laughs> uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I find your comments really fascinating, you know, th- this idea that there is a ecosystem or a network of factors and technologies and business models that almost need to coexist for a brand new medium to come to life. And I think it's interesting mm-hmm. when you look at the, the evolution of breakthrough technologies, often there needs to be a sort of a, a few key breakthroughs on, on the path to that. Do you think the, really the tipping point for all of this was the smartphone? Um, you know, mm-hmm. because if we hadn't have got there with miniaturization and battery technology and screen technology, I mean, in a sense, that mm-hmm. what that's what allowed Palmer Lucky to to breathe life back into these these old VR rigs was just really slotting in smartphone technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you think about the smartphone, I, I would add one more thing: is until we had 4G, it was really difficult to really um, uh, use it properly or really be able to have all the uh, types of productivity apps and all the other apps that, that that we currently have and that have allowed us to start using the smartphone as our computer right. in our pocket versus having to go go back home and do that. So if if you can use that as a proxy or an, as an example or looking back in history and how it happened, you can see that it's a variety of different factors and a variety of different companies that sometimes, you know, have they all create part of the ecosystem, but they all have to uh, reach a certain tipping point together. Let's talk a little bit about connectivity because I think even today consumers have been struggling to understand what the real benefit of 5G is because I think in their mind is, well, why do they need faster email or faster video? But for these kind of next generation experiences, 5G actually mm-hmm. becomes critical to transforming the form factor of the devices, bulky, tethered, um, large sort of headsets. Would you say that's correct? Absolutely. In a very simplistic way, even because I am not a 5G expert like many of my colleagues and my partners are. But if we were to think about it very simply, if you want to be able to move around with, let's say, a pair of glasses that look very much like the glasses that you normally wear, but now those glasses really perform all the functions that your smartphone performs today. So pretty much you can just take one item with you uh, from the house and that's your pair of glasses and you do everything through that. Payment and entertainment, messaging, anything. Well, then then you have to make sure that you have enough power in those glasses. Now, if you have to add a large computing unit, then forget about it that the form factor doesn't, doesn't work anymore. They have to become naturally big and bulky and all that. So if you are able to instead have infrastructure set up so that you have a large amount of data that can be pushed over to directly to the glasses and maybe some of the computing is not on the glasses, but at the infrastructure level with right. computing and split rendering, then all of a sudden you take a lot of the computing away from the device that you have on your head and you're just pushing down what you want to see and kind of like the the actions that basically you're performing. It becomes a lot easier. Right. Can you define split rendering? Is this like what Google Stadia is using Mm -hmm. where they're literally just sending you the pixels for the video game, but the heavy lifting has been done in the cloud? Yeah, I think I'll stay away from an exact definition because probably I will butcher it. But basically, (laughs) in a very simplistic way, edge computing split rendering allows you to split, split the computing, basically move the computing and even the amount of information that you push and not have it all done in the device, but done somewhere else and then being pushed through 5G. Right. So then you can have very lightweight devices. And you can deliver very heavy and realistic and hyper-realistic type of experiences. So you can push a lot of data, basically. Right. So when you think about that, who are likely to be the 
sort of the key players in this forward? Because it's not just a case where you've got a platform provider or a device manufacturer. I mean, there there are many players in this new ecosystem, including the telcos. Yeah, and that's absolutely right. So from an infrastructure perspective, obviously any company, any telco that, and you can already see which ones are, are more interested in it. I'm not going to go as far as saying which one is going to be the best or is going to win because no. I really don't know. But certainly you can see Verizon and Docomo and a bunch of other ones certainly working really hard at uh, trying to figure it out and setting it up. From a device perspective, I think you see a lot of activity from pretty much all of the different device makers you see the large companies that have already taken a stance in xr like microsoft or facebook oculus or or some other ones really trying to figure out what they're going to be doing next and i think all of them uh, are performing and providing products based on the market can bear right now but they are all planning uh, and working on what comes next you see that there are lots of acquisitions going on, for example, Google just buying North glasses, when was it yesterday, today, a couple of days ago, you're seeing a lot of activity around that. And I think we are seeing a lot of activity and interest around glasses and AR glasses per se. At CES this year, there were a lot of examples of glasses or lenses even. And um, uh, I think Qualcomm, uh, Qualcomm even announced an agreement or a partnership of sorts with uh, 15 different operators worldwide to also start start pushing the you know the just, uh, new form factors that are out there for XR. There's almost an expectation that this is going to be very much like the smartphone, where uh, an XR type uh, glass unit becomes a gateway to a whole new set of experiences, services, products content and realities essentially absolutely that's the most that's the easiest way to explain it basically your glasses and when i say glasses i'm not saying you know the form factor could be a little bit different but but mm. something in front of your eyes most likely something that will look like glasses at least to start will replace your smartphone and will replace your screen that does not mean that we're not going to have you know screens still or things of that nature but maybe for more niche type of um activities but our day-to-day, we expect that our day-to-day device is going to be something that is right in front of your eyes, where most likely you're not going to need to have a peripheral or a mouse or something that you have to touch. Likely it's going to be gesture-based, or the majority of that is going to be gesture-based. And also the other, the other important thing to consider when thinking about this is that there will really need to be a twin map of the world. So the entire world will have to be mapped and, uh, and provided in a, in a 3D fashion so that you can access and unlock information and experiences as you as you move and that would be a very different way of doing it from from how it is right now this is where things i think start to get interesting because if you think back to the early days of the web brands and retailers and organizations really struggled to understand that the web was a whole new metaphor that it wasn't just about taking what they were doing and, and putting it online they had to think about the interaction model very differently so now that this mm-hmm. is getting much closer, and if the telco alliances and the device manufacturers are starting to really push this to consumers, how should brands and retailers be thinking about this now? I guess, what should their play be? Should they be experimenting or is, is this really just too early to, to even be thinking about it? No, if they're not already doing it and they haven't started doing it, I think they're, they're behind and they're going to fall behind. Uh, this is not even the time for you know basic experimentation anymore. This is the time to start experimenting. Right with with thinking about building things at scale 
think at the very basic level, each brand or each company, doesn't matter what type of industry they're in, they have to think about a 3D digitization of, of whatever whatever their, their content or their products are. Uh, it's no longer just having flat 2D images of, of things. It's about having a 3D object or a 3D representation of whatever it is that they're doing that they can be reused for in the catalog, it can be used to to teach and train, it can be used for post-sale support, it can be used also to let people um, uh, visualize experience and even modify that specific product in front of their eyes, wherever they might be. I think if you take the example, the example of furniture, I think people already expect at this point to be able to view what a piece of furniture might look like in their house. You know, it's been introduced by Acer and the other ones. And I think it's becoming almost like an expectation. Right. That same expectation a year from now, customers will have across many different types of uh, products and businesses. And it will just be expected that you have that. And if you don't have it, there is something wrong with you and your brand. So this is not the time to just sit back and see what happens and maybe do like a little, just do a lens anymore. Those things were two years ago. Now you really have to start thinking how would I how would I produce this at scale and 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 you know how do I prepare for that? Well, if you think of it, if you're a furniture or like a, a consumer electronics retailer, maybe your first step would be building an augmented reality library of 3D objects that people can use to, as you say, see it in their home or check dimensions. This is really just phase one. It's like being in the early days of the web and taking 2D photos of your inventory. How do you go from yeah. there to actually starting to imagine creatively what experiences could really look like? How do you sort of think about doing something that's beyond the ordinary? Uh, this is not something that most, I would say, traditional furniture retailers are, are sort of designed to do. I would do it in steps. I think it's too difficult of a task for anyone to try to go and for any brand really to try to go and create completely something new. But if you start integrating smaller elements that really uh, help the consumer, um, either experience your products or talk to you or collaborate with you, and you add the smaller elements, you build upon them, and all of a sudden you start having an experience that it's a brushworks because you've built other parts of it. It's still, I think, a bit too much to just create something that's completely and only virtual. But you take specific, where you see specific issues that you can solve for them, and you can do it in a way that will bring consumers back because they'll do it not just once, but twice and three times and four times. And it's not like an expectation that now they have. You've already gotten them into the door and then, and then you build up on that. Have you seen any particularly compelling experiences by retailers or brands that you think point the way to the future? Again, to me, anything that has to do with furniture is great. Uh, also, anything <laughs> that has to do with uh, cars, and cars and cars manufacturing or, or automotive in general. I think they do a very good job at integrating uh, integrating 3D models, trying to integrate experiences. I've seen a lot of different configurators for cars now not only being on the web, but being in 3D. So either in AR or in VR, that work. We did it, I think it was three years ago, we did it for BMW and Fiat. Uh, we did AR configurators for them so that if you don't have to go to uh, the car dealership. You can just, uh, you know, configure your car from home. You see what it looks like and you can play with it and then you can still go see it and, and make the final purchase at the dealership if you want to do that. Um, but, um, and I've seen it, I've seen it done at, uh, at, uh, at a higher level. So as an app in and of itself or integrated in apps or at a land level, I forget which company might have been BMW still. I'm not 
quite sure, but I've seen examples of AR lenses in Snapchat that basically were simple configurators, AR configurators. So it's all getting integrated. And I think there, there is a lot more usage of AR, particularly uh, mobile AR for the moment, because the form factor is not quite there yet, right. um, that people are using and they don't even realize that it is. Or frankly, they don't care what it is. Consumer never cared. It's just becoming part of their journey thing. now. Of course, yes. One, one, a lot of the real breakthroughs in digital interaction design web came when people started to imagine pure play digital retailers because they were forced to think beyond their channels to really make that experience work. You know, as a thought experiment, can, can you imagine what a, a pure XR retailer, or do you think we'll see those sort of operations that, that are really designed to work purely in AR or, or VR or a combination of the both? Yeah, I don't see why we would have an issue with that. It's just a matter of, of, of having the assets to start, having the, making sure that the, the form factor or the device that's being used to do that is widely available, basically that everyone has it. And at that point, I don't think it's, it's, it's any different than Amazon starting Amazon in the old days. I don't quite see it as, as anything much different than that. We would need new kinds of metaphors, right? I think one of the dangers would be that initially we just try to create stores in the virtual world that resemble the ones that we have today in the physical world. But, you know, mm-hmm. in a way, we need to find a new design language for, for thinking in XR. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the case not just for retailers or stores, but it's the case for anything that will be, will be, will be shown or experienced. It, it's a little bit difficult to explain, but it's not going to be a flat world anymore. It's going to be the spatial world. So depending on who you are, what you've done before, what you've liked or not liked, uh, what data was, even behavioral data was saved about you, but also what location you're in, where your head is turned or where you're looking, what type of device you're using, what type of OS you're using to, to access that specific layer of the 3D digital world, you'll get a different type of experience. You might see a different app. You might see different products. You might see products just appear and, and not necessarily part of a store itself, right. but part of an experience, part of something that you're doing. So it will be a very, it, we will go from personalization to individualization uh, because everything will be provided and, and displayed and accessed. Mm. Yes. At an individual level. Yeah, th- this is a really fascinating area. I mean, previously on the show, I had uh, Austin Grossman, who used to be the director of game design and, and interactive storytelling at Magic Leap. And he was saying, I mean, Magic Leap, of course, is a whole nother story. But he was saying that one of the things that they discovered was that you really needed a very wide range of capabilities to build these sort of experiences, not just programmers or mm-hmm. technicians, but people that came from theater, fashion, yeah. design, physics, yep. spatial, op- people who understand, you know, Oh, the, the way the human eye functioned. I mean, I think you yourself came from music, right? You're a, a professional pianist. So it's sort of fascinating, I think, how this new emerging industry is going to bring in people from a very wide range of, range of skills and capabilities. I cannot agree more. And I think in general, emerging technology, maybe something a little bit more technical, like it might be blockchain, it might be a little bit different. But when you're talking about XR per se, it's an emerging technology. Anything that's an emerging technology by default is created because you don't have the solution yet. You have to imagine what that might be. But then XR specifically is really a combination of technology on one side and creativity on the other. Because you have to offer an experience and you have to provide something that really immerses you into something that is that touches you. Which more empathically or less empathically, it does not quite matter. But you have to be able to bring all of that at the same time 
it's not a kind of false flat, right. particularly now when we're not quite exactly perfectly there. And I think that's also why you, maybe you see more women in the extra space than in other parts of technology. I think sometimes women can be a little bit more rounded, they can have a little <laughs> bit of a higher level of empathy. Absolutely. I'm getting on the soapbox for women, but I think you do, you do see a lot more women in this field than in other, um, in other emerging tech fields. That is definitely great to see. And let's talk a little bit about solutions that you worked on, which was this project for intercontinental hotels. Uh, I think, obviously, as a speaker, I'm, I'm very connected to the meetings and events industry. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how XR can potentially help meeting planners reinvent the way that they think about creating experiences. Yeah. So basically what we wanted to do is we were looking at the travel industry and we have big clients in the travel industry, it's a big industry for us, uh, travel and hospitality. And we knew that the event space, the event planning space itself is a, is a huge opportunity for the hotel industry. And, and yet it's a really, really, really complicated process to try to book an event room because mm. you have to travel to the location, you have to try to see it, you have to imagine what it might look like when you set it up in a certain way. And all of that makes it really expensive and slow uh, when it comes to closing a sale. So we decided to um, do something uh, to allow the hotel sales employees and the event planners and the end buyers kind of like be able to collaborate together in real time at the same time cross-platform, so whatever they might have in front of them, be it a cell phone or be it AR glasses or be VR, and really experience that specific room, be able to move through it in 3D, and at the same time, be able to configure it. So modify the density, for example, of tables and chairs, modify where the, the stage might be, or even be able to see what different lighting conditions or, or window covers might look like. And again, be able to do it. I might be in LA and my client might be in Singapore and they can still see that and they can experience it and they can move through it and they can even get a sense one-to-one of, do I have enough space here? Can I sit here? Will my client fit here? <laughs> it works really well. It We built it for, a, again, a mobile phone, a VR headset we used by the headset. We could have used a different one, but that's, that's the one we used. And we also use the Nreal glasses, so AR glasses that are powered by 5G phone. And it just, the response we got was, was incredible. Uh, the, the hotel sales employees believe that, it, yes, it will decrease their, the amount of time that it takes to close a sale. It will actually help them close more sales. It will increase the, the collaboration and the closeness with the customers. And we were trying to calculate how much, how much this help, um, increase sales and think it could increase sales or revenue by an 8% total. We often recommend that people become more data-driven, but this is another dimension of it, isn't it? Which is you're being driven by data, in a sense, visualization or data immersion, uh, because you can mm-hmm. see the result of your decisions or your choices, but you can experience it at a at a more immersive level. Yeah. I mean, data and user data is... Um, it's such. It's going to be completely rejiggered by XR. You think it will change the way we make decisions and the way we visualize decisions? Yeah, and it will also change the way that companies decide to push information or provide different products or sell you on different things. The behavioral data that we have innate that could be based on where you're looking or how you're reacting, if you're moving your hands or not, anything related to true behavioral data that you would not even be able to explain to somebody ask you while you're there in front of them, all of that can be captured by XR devices. 
And obviously, it would have to be treated properly, proper caution, and the proper level of privacy rules around that. It will give a different different type of information as to what people really do want to receive or they want to see or, or, or what they like and dislike. So in five to ten years, what do you think will be the biggest difference in the way we work and the way we interact with each other in the workplace as a result of X? I think that there will be more remote collaboration as it will be virtual remote collaboration. A bit more interesting uh, than I Zoom, I hope. Able... <laughs> <laughs> yes, much more interesting than Zoom. And you already see examples of that. Uh, there is a company called Spatial that you, you probably have heard of. They have a cross-platform solution for remote collaboration and you can play with um, and design 3D objects. You can watch presentations. You can surf the web. You can do all sorts of other things while seeing your avatar, your realistic avatar, and see other people there with you. So all of that will only increase. Obviously, it will have to become much easier, but we will see a lot more of that. I think it will be easier to work with the people who are far away or in places that are difficult to reach or that might be even dangerous to reach. And I think we will work off a different construct when it comes to data and a different construct when it comes to even designing and products themselves. I think everything will be done in 3D to start. Then it will be able to be tested that way and then uh, and then produced once it's fully tested. Perfect. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.